0: what sort of greeting this might be.
1: The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God.
0: Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her by the Lord.
1: And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the low state of his handmaiden. For, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He hath holpened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed for ever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her own house. Amen.
2: Well, I guess maybe they're a bit like buses. You don't get any miraculous pregnancies for centuries and then suddenly two come along at once. Our reading for this morning skipped over the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Uh, with which the Gospel begins, of how they had got to old age without having children and then suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared to say that God had heard their prayers and that Elizabeth was pregnant with the child who would grow up to be John the Baptist. Instead, we picked up the very similar story of Elizabeth's cousin Mary and her visit from the angel Gabriel, giving her news of her own miraculous pregnancy. These two stories of women unexpectedly with child, as they say, are part of a long tradition within the Hebrew Bible of God giving miraculous children to women who shouldn't by rights be pregnant. And in each of these stories, the point is fairly consistently the same, which is that God can do what is impossible for humans. So Sarah wife to Abraham, laughed when she was told she was going to bear a child because she knew that age was against her. But nonetheless, Isaac was born. A generation later, Rebecca, wife to Isaac, wasn't too old, she just didn't seem to be able to conceive until Isaac prayed to God. And then she became pregnant and in due time, Jacob and Esau, the twins were born. And then a generation further down the line, Jacob's wives, the sisters Rachel and Leah, competed for his love. And whilst Leah bore him children, he loved Rachel more, but she remained childless until after a massive row, which led to Jacob having children by both his wives' slaves, God remembered Rachel and she became pregnant with Joseph. And then some while later in the Old Testament story, we get to Hannah one of the two wives of Elkanah, who like Rachel was the preferred but barren wife. After promising God that if she became pregnant with a son, she would dedicate the child back to God. Sure enough, she gave birth to Samuel, who became the prophet who anointed both King Saul and King David. And then there's Samson's mother, unnamed and childless until she was visited by an angel who told her she would conceive and bear a child. And then there's that other unnamed childless wife, known only as the Shunammite woman, offering hospitality to the prophet Elisha, who in return prophesied that she would become pregnant, which of course she did. Now, forgive me, but today I'm going to note, but not explore in depth, the deeply problematic attitudes in these stories towards women, and the value that society placed and often still places on childbearing. But I will say, and say very clearly, that the stigma of childlessness, often perpetuated in Christian circles, is something we need to challenge. A woman's value is not found in her reproductive ability, and neither is marriage predicated on procreation. After all, the emphasis in Luke's gospel is not on Mary's virginity per se, with all of the body is bad connotations that have preoccupied so many who have wrestled with this passage down the centuries. Rather, it is on the power of God to bring life where life has no right to be found. So whilst I firmly believe that children are a blessing to be celebrated, a lack of children does not equate to a lack of God's love or favor. And those who long for children but are unable to conceive are not in some way being punished by God. So whilst we should certainly bring our hurts and concerns to God in prayer, the solution to infertility in our world of modern medicine is not in prayer alone. And also this morning, neither am I going to delve into the murky waters of whether these stories are historically accurate. If you want to hear me waxing lyrical about the scientific improbability of a virgin birth, check out my sermon from last year, which is on our Bloomsbury Sermon webpage, and also the christmas.org.uk website. And as an aside I would just say to you if you're finding yourself with time on your hands over the next couple of weeks because of well you know one thing and another, you could do a lot worse than go to christmas.org.uk and look at the little daily two-minute videos that people have prepared inspiring thoughts about Christmas, some of the beautiful poetry that's on there, some of the sermons that you can delve into, revisiting some of our Christmas sermons from years before if you want to think through the season that we're in in a bit more depth, Um, And also, I would just also want to say, do go and have a look at the Christmas From Scratch page. Uh, This is our friends over in Essex at Church From Scratch who have done a decidedly EastEnders-ish South End version of the Nativity story. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, Do go and check that out. It's all on christmas.org.uk. Just delve around and find some goodies. But anyway, this morning, I want us to focus primarily today on where God sits in these stories, to see if we can hear something from them to help us explore for ourselves the significance of Luke's story of these miraculous pregnancies of Mary and Elizabeth. And as I said a moment ago, the key point seems to be fairly consistently that God is able to do what humans cannot do So I want to suggest we take a step away from the literal, and instead engage these stories at the level of their literary meaning. Which leads me to ask the question of myself and of each of us. Where is it in your life, in our community, or in this world, that there are things which seem impossible for humans to achieve? What is it when you look at yourself, those around you, our church, our world, what is it you see that seems impossible for humans to achieve? Where do we see or experience a stubborn willing unwillingness for new life and new hope to blossom and come into being? Sometimes it can seem as if God's promises have failed and that some other more malign force is writing the narrative of our lives and our world. Certainly this was the experience of Israel of old. If you remember our journey with Israel over the last few weeks, we've been hearing from the prophets of the exilic period, And we've seen how their hope for a king who would restore David's throne had dissolved into the tragedies of war and exile. And then we've seen how their bright hopes for a return from Babylon became a disappointment of infighting and continued oppression. So as we come to Luke's account of Elizabeth and Mary, written some six centuries after the return from exile, we find that Luke is still wrestling with this issue of whether God's promises have failed. This means that when Luke says that Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be is of the house of David and that Mary's son will be called the son of the most high and that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David and that his kingdom will have no end Luke is telling his readers that God's promises of old have not failed, rather they are coming to fulfilment fully and finally in the person of Jesus. And Luke's story of Elizabeth and Mary can help interpret these promises for us too, as we with Luke's first readers are invited to grapple with the significance of God's unexpected, life-giving, life-affirming intervention into human history. And you know what? Mary gets it. She understands that the God who is faithful is still working in unexpected ways to bring about the fulfillment of ancient promises and the dawn of a new, hopeful, peaceful way of being human. She sings of it in that passage now often called the Magnificat which includes the following lines speaking of a world turned upside down by the intervention of God. The mighty one has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the new life that God is bringing to birth in the world. It is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, coming into being through the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It is the new life of justice for the oppressed, of food for the hungry, of a new world being made and brought to life in the lives of those who have already had it born in them. So for us this morning, I return to my question. What new thing is God bringing to birth in your life, in our church? In our community? And how can we play our part in the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Many of us have a tendency to see ourselves as those who are active in the service of God and Bloomsbury has been blessed over the years with a talented, hardworking, and motivated congregation who gladly give their time and resources. However, this can generate a context where we also come to see ourselves as those who are, how can I put this, God's fixers. We see a problem, an injustice, a need, and we move quickly to a solution which inevitably comes from our own position of strength. And I wonder if Luke's story of Mary and Elizabeth can challenge this way of understanding our role as those who participate in the coming of God's kingdom. You see, the significance of God bringing life where it has no right to be is that God does this, not us. And I wonder if there is an invitation here for us to rethink the way we see ourselves. Here's a thought. What if we aren't God's fixers after all, but God's midwives? If a new life is coming into being, you want a good midwife on hand to make sure it all happens safely. There is a place here for competence and skill and training. But it is always God who gives the gift of life. So as we consider ourselves, our lives, our community and our world, and as we look at those places where life and hope have no right to be, we will, I am sure, see God at work bringing new life and new hope into being. This is the message of the nativity This is the good news of Jesus coming into our world. This is the story of Advent. And our role, maybe, is to be those whose calling is to ensure that new life doesn't die prematurely. Our calling, maybe, is to be the midwives who work and give all of our skill to ensure that the new life that God brings into being in the world comes to birth safely and is then carefully matured and nurtured. It's not all down to us. We don't have to fix everything. In fact, it's never really down to us at all. It always begins with God, through whom the impossible becomes the possible.
3: Please join me in prayer. God of new life, new hope, and new joy. We pray now for those people and places in whom hope and joy have died. We pray for those who mourn and ask that you will comfort them. We pray for those who experience life as oppression and injustice and ask that you will uplift them. We pray for those who are hungry, homeless and helpless, and ask that they will be fed and housed. We pray for those who are lonely and isolated, and ask that they will know that they are loved. So we pray for those who work for justice, for lawyers and advocates, for campaigners and politicians, that they will be given courage to speak and wisdom to act we pray for those who care for the poor and the vulnerable and their efforts that their efforts will lead to lasting change in the lives of others we pray for those who reach out across barriers that divide bringing companionship and acceptance to those who find themselves cut off from others And we pray for ourselves as we too seek to play out our part in your coming kingdom may we be those who see hope where others see despair life where others see death and so may we proclaim and live into being the good news of jesus christ amen
2: so before we depart this time together A word of blessing from Sue Cooper of Caffod. Maranatha, open our eyes to the dignity of all people and our ears to the cries of the earth. Maranatha, let us walk in solidarity with the poor and cleanse our world from oppression. Maranatha, let us shout out for justice for all and renew our hope for change. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Let us share the good news. Amen.